Hello, I'm Tony Kerr and welcome to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. It's a big week at the digital greenhouse. For the fifth year in a row, Guernsey's Innovation Hub is tapping into Global Entrepreneur Week with a series of local events culminating in its inaugural Veyon Awards, a new occasion in the calendar celebrating entrepreneurship and innovation in Guernsey across seven categories, everything from digital leader to learner of the year. And alongside those awards, the winners of the Venture Challenge will also be presented with their prizes. That was a startup accelerator competition run over the summer, the first of its kind in the island, uh, with 55 local businesses whittled down to seven for an intensive six-week programme, offering £65,000 of support at the end of it. And to top that all off, the winner of the Bill Green Award will also be recognised on the night. More on that in a moment, including a fascinating interview with this year's winner. But first, let's hear more about the week as a whole. Amanda Eulenkamp spoke to programme manager Ben Ratten to find out more. Global Entrepreneurship Week uh, in Guernsey 2022 is uh, kindly sponsored by JT. Uh, So they've uh, helped us really kind of ramp up uh, all of the events throughout the week. Uh, A jam-packed week full of events talking about all all, everything entrepreneurship. And yes, it culminates in the Veyon Awards, which is our first black tie awards dinner for um, celebrating innovation and entrepreneurship in Guernsey. And I know you kick it off with a a breakfast and your guest speaker is Dr Jamie Coleman, um, who I believe is one of the judges at the Guernsey Venture Challenge. Yes. uh, Yeah. Jamie uh, is a a fantastic speaker. He spoke, uh, he did a session actually last Global Entrepreneurship as well about how um, businesses can be using uh, low code and no code apps to really kind of digitize their business without having to know everything about tech which is really fascinating um and he was yeah he, he took part as one of the judges in the um guernsey venture challenge he's got a wealth of experience having run um a, a plethora of businesses in the uk uh and uh recently uh ipoing a few businesses as well which was great to have his um yeah his wealth of experience on so he'll be opening uh the the week with a talk about you know what what does a startup need to be successful from a uh, kind of talking about uh, the logistics of what they need, uh, what support they need, but also what makes a good entrepreneur or a good founder of a business? So that kicks off Global Entrepreneurship Week as far as the digital greenhouse is concerned. Um, and I know you have other events that week. Mm-hmm. So you've got to meet the experts uh, on the 15th of November and a business support panel on the 16th of November. So tell me a little bit more about those. Yeah, so um, our Meet the Experts event is, um, it's, uh, so it runs as part of our Starting Up Saturdays, where we, uh, but we've done a separate one as part of Global Entrepreneurship Week uh, where we get uh, a number of businesses that offer services to support small businesses. So it's a kind of speed networking uh kind of whip round so we have representatives from uh, accountancy firms uh, banking marketing uh, it telcos to really kind of so you can meet the kind of people that you might need services from so instead of having to uh, spend ages uh, googling and phoning around and emailing you can get to meet everyone in quite a quick quick succession and the um uh, the panel event on Wednesday the 16th is uh, we've been working with Black Vanilla on a entrepreneurial survey that's gone out to businesses. Um, those who have started to see 
uh, what the uh, what the challenges of starting businesses in Guernsey have been, and but what are the opportunities as well, and how they've overcome these barriers. Um, so we have uh, a panel session with uh, Nicole Colverwell from Black Vanilla, Lucy Kirby from the Digital Greenhouse, uh, Tim from TCS, and a couple more panelists uh, joining as well. Um, and they'll be discussing off the back of the results of the survey and discussing about the opportunities uh, of support in Guernsey. So it sounds a really uh, packed full week. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people listening might think the digital greenhouse, it has to be a tech business, you know, that's all it is. But actually it isn't, is it? It's it's a lots of different businesses. We have multi-factions of what we do. So we have the co-working space, which is predominantly aimed at digital and creative businesses, but our, our programmes for businesses um, so yeah, like our starting up Saturdays, our one-to-one support meetings, our business mentoring, that's for any kind of business, any size, uh, any industry, any sector kind of thing. So um, yeah, sometimes people can be a bit discouraged with the word digital, but actually, yeah, any business is coming through. So um, we see well, we see about 150 businesses coming through our programs each year. So And it's um, a complete wide range. So whatever business idea you have, like kind of people get in touch and we can help them on their journey ben ratton from the digital greenhouse there now as i mentioned the veon awards will also see the winner of the bill green award pick up the trophy and quite an impressive one it is too um presented annually by guernsey's young business group here's ybg president louise lapelle to explain more about the award and this year's winner YBG, um, with this award, are looking for someone who's got a bit of sparkle about them, who's got a sense of entrepreneurship, basically. And I'd say that kind of can-do, will-do attitude. So Bill Green was known for, um, during World War II, he actually um, started selling bicycles when a lot of vehicles were requisitioned by the occupying forces. In times of hardship, he managed to find... a entrepreneurial solution so that kind of is the ethos of of this award and I think as a group of people we are a dynamic bunch of young business people who look for opportunities um, wherever we go whether that be informal networking or business opportunities Um, and that's basically the what the award means to us I guess. Um, I will just start by saying that we partnered with the Digital Greenhouse last year to revive the Bill Green Award. And we thought that being a part of the Veon Awards, which translates from the Guernsey French to go for it, um, really epitomised what the Bill Green Award is all, all about. And we had some truly excellent shortlist presentations. It was very, very difficult to decide. I'll tell you um, who our companies were. We had Cortex Technologies Limited, Amigos, Cocktail Bar and Fiesta Household, Freezer and Fox, and Second Meridian Brew Co. And our winner was Rachel Amesra, who is an author. So that's a really diverse range of businesses, isn't it? Cocktail Bar, IT Group, and an Brewery, florist. Yeah. They're all outstanding, you know, top of their game in and in that sort of regard um Rachel came to us with a very um sensitive presentation that was 
just really outstanding the way she researched her book trilogy so basically during lockdown um I'm sure you can get the story from her another day because it, so- <laughs> it sounds a lot more authentic coming from her because it is her story it's not mine to tell um but she wrote a trilogy of books and did a lot of research into what people were doing during lockdown and a lot of that was watching shows such as Bridgerton or Outlander and so she decided to write a historical romance trilogy and um, managed to get it published worldwide and she overcame a lot of personal adversity to actually do this Um, and I think for us the the fact that she linked several quotes from Bill Green into her presentation um, was a very nice touch as well. So there's a quote from Bill Green, luck is the ability to recognise good opportunities and I think that was really captured in her presentation very well. Louise Lapelle from YBG speaking to Amanda Eulenkamp there. Well, let's hear now from this year's Bill Green Award winner. Rachel Lamezra sat down with Amanda to talk about what it means to be recognised in this way, her own entrepreneurial story as an author and the barriers she's overcome along the way. It really is a fantastic story and an inspiring one too. Oh gosh, um, it was it was quite a whirlwind to be honest. Um, I I had a message from a friend uh, a little while back saying, "Hey, this this award's coming up. You know, you should really go for it because it's about creativity, it's about innovation, and I think you're probably one of the most creative, innovative people I know after after the last few years with all the all the writing books and the pandemic and everything." So. Um, I did submit an application and I got a message back saying, you've been shortlisted, this was great. And I went and did a presentation for them all about my books and uh, I love talking about my writing. So it's it's something that, uh, that I just enjoyed doing and didn't think too much more of it and uh, got an email back saying, congratulations, make some more space on those bookshelves because you've actually won it. You've got a big trophy to put on your shelves. So uh, it's very exciting. And the trophy is huge, isn't it? It's a wooden wheel. massive wooden wheel I've seen a picture of it Um, I'm glad actually that my husband is coming with me to the awards ceremony because I really don't think I could actually carry it myself (laughs) (laughs) you're up against some really strong shortlisted finalists as well such as uh, Amigos Cocktail Bar and Fiesta Household Freezer and Fox and Cortex Technologies and Second Meridian Bruco so completely different uh, fields to yourself do you sort of consider yourself to be an entrepreneur when you hear about these other businesses as well I think yes but it's such a different thing you know I think this was the great thing about all of the people who were shortlisted is that we were all so different in the way that we approach innovation and creativity and things and I mean um it's they they were some really amazing businesses I only really uh got the pleasure of meeting um Chris who runs the Amigos bar and of course, it's a Mexican bar and my books are about Mexico. So between the two of us and the 15 minutes we were in the same room, we actually um, organised an event between us. So to celebrate my my book's first anniversary next year, we're going to be running an event at Amigos. And he said he's going to design cocktails for each of my characters and all sorts of things. So it just does show when you're in a room with someone else who's an innovator, if you can put together an event and come up with something <laughs> just in those 15 minutes of meeting someone, um, it, it does take a certain mindset to be able to do that, I think, and a certain level of perseverance. And being an author is probably a bit outside of the box for what you'd really think of as as a business. Um, but it is. You you have to really love what you're doing and really put a lot of uh, a lot of energy 
into not just the writing, the perseverance of that, but also the publishing process itself, the marketing, everything like that. I'm lucky I have some fantastic publishers. Um, I'm traditionally published, so my publishers do an awful lot of work behind the scenes with uh, with all that sort of thing. So I've had some fantastic guidance. They work very hard, but uh, it's that partnership really between me and them that uh, that makes it work. So, Rachel, books are set in Mexico. Tell us a little bit more about them. Um, well, they're actually set on the outbreak of the Mexican Revolution. Um, and it's it's a funny little hybrid of different genres, really, because I guess um, there's a lot of there's a strong romance plot in there, but it's also very swashbuckling. It's not your classic bodice ripper that I think people think of when they think historical romance. There's no sitting around drinking tea with Mr. Cucumberly and waiting for balls at Netherfield and that sort of thing, which, you know, I think when you say historical fiction, a lot of people spring to that Jane Austen image and it's very far removed from that it's um it's about a middle class mexican girl who uh, her family are very wealthy but they don't have the titles they don't have the aristocracy and that's what they want so they try and marry her off to the local don who a uh, very important aristocrat who owns all the local mines and everything but she strikes up a friendship with um with a musician a street musician whose brothers are mine workers and have a very hard life and she gets to see the balance between the rich and the poor and, and the big cultural difference that there is in uh, in the ways that they live, really. And she decides to try and make a change and to try and make a stand. And, of course, the revolution is breaking out all around her. Um, she's got family pressures from one side. She's got the social pressures from above. She's also got the, the moral pressures of knowing that the right thing to do is to stand with her friends and, and, and help them with their struggles and everything. So it's... Um, it's all based on real history, which I think made it a lot more poignant for me to write. Um, things like there's a there's a big mining disaster in there and all sorts of things that were real things that actually happened, really did touch people's lives. So uh, there was a kind of very personal feeling. I cried the whole time I was writing <laughs> certain bits of it. And, you know, there, there are funny parts where I'm, I still laugh now when I'm reading it. Um, and it was a very emotional ride writing these books partly because it was all based in real history. But, uh, but yeah, it was a real labour of love. So, um, so I've, I've really enjoyed every minute of, of writing it. And what was the inspiration to, to write historical novels? And also, did you always set out with the idea of writing three or did, did you write one and then just get so involved in her life that the other two evolved? Um, that's a great question, actually. So originally, me being naive, knowing nothing about publishing, I wrote the entire thing as one book. And I mean, to look at the size of it now, this is the edited down versions of all three of them. I must have been bonkers to think that that could have ever been published as one book <laughs> because it would have been huge. It would have blown Harry Potter out of the water. For, I think it would have the blown the Bible books. out of the water. <laughs> so thank heavens I decided to go traditional and I got a traditional publisher who looked at it and went, this needs to be three books. Can you turn it into three books and then I'll publish it? And I went, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and uh, we sort of went with that really. Um, so yes, my three beautiful books all started off as one massive brick of a monster. Um, but yeah, the inspiration behind it really was my granddad. Um, he loved family history. He really loved looking into all the stories and and the, the ancestors who've come before us. And uh, shortly before he died, um, he found out some information about some ancestors who'd actually fought in the Mexican Revolution. And he and I did a bit of research together about it. And um, he discovered that our ancestors actually went back before the second French intervention in Mexico. 
And he had a collection of information and things on his iPad because that was the sort of 92-year-old man he was. He was more te technologically savvy than I am. Um, and we started finding things like immigration documents and birth certificates and death certificates. And there were some really interesting ones. Like um, there was one girl who uh, was quite tall. She had, you know, she was Mexican. She was crossing the border into the US to escape the revolution from what we can work out. But she had blue eyes, which of course was really unusual back then in Mexico. Um, so she ended up being the inspiration for Esperanza, the main character. Um, obviously we know nothing about her personality, that's all invented, but these little pieces of stories throughout history that we collected together, my favorite being uh, the farm boy, the, there was a farm hand um, with La Mejurano, who again crossed over the border during the Mexican revolution, suppose, you know, we're, we assume to escape the violence and came back married to a doña which we're thinking there's a definite elopement going on there. We'll never find out what really happened, or even if it was the same guy or a different guy just with the same name. There's not quite enough information for us to ever work it out. But it's things like that that, you know, our, my imagination started going with that. And my granddad had said, girl, you need to write a book. And when you write a book, you know, write this all down as a story, write all this imaginative stuff down as a story. And the minute you do, come and sign it for me. I'm going to be your number one fan. And, of course, he actually passed away before he ever got to see the books published, but it was almost like a grieving process for me to carry on with the work after he died. And um, the books are actually written in his memory. There's a little dedication in the front here that says, for granddad, whose stories of hope, courage and revolution inspired this one. So, That's a lovely uh, story in its own, own right. Um, and was this your first attempt at writing, Rachel? Um, sort of. So uh, I'm, I'm actually disabled. I've got Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which means all of my joints bend the wrong way. So when I was at school, writing was my enemy because holding a pen or a pencil was very difficult for me. I was undiagnosed, so nobody really knew why I was so slow and found it so painful handwriting. All I knew is that the other children would all write three pages in the time it would take me to write one paragraph. And so English at school was not my friend. Hated it. <laughs> writing generally was really something that I tried to avoid doing at all costs. And it was only when I got a fantastic English teacher who turned around and said to me, well, why don't you just use a laptop? Let me get you a laptop to use in class. And that changed my life. And then all that creativity that I'd been bottling up for all those years that I just couldn't get on paper, well, I could touch type now. And that didn't affect my joints. So I started writing just little stories. I had a friend called, uh, called Jess, who I'm still friends with now, and she and I would like to sit down together and collaboratively write little stories and things, and um, some of them based off, off books that we loved or TV series that we loved and things. You know, I think fanfic is, uh, is what a lot of the young kids call it now, but um, gosh, that makes me sound old. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I started then branching out into my own stories and things, and a lot of it stayed in my head sort of I'd write down ideas and stuff sometimes I'd tell the stories to to children I used to be a teacher so you know coming up with stories and things was something that they loved and uh, it wasn't really until I sat down and had the time during lockdown that I thought look it's me my two-year-old daughter and hey Dougie for the foreseeable future I was clinically vulnerable so I had to stay in for most of that time and just thinking right I have got to do something to keep my own brain active because I'm going to go insane if I have to just sit in here with CBBS for company for <laughs> for all this time so yeah that's when I started just you know writing and it 
it snowballed into a three book series which is now internationally published which still feels very surreal that is a, it is a fantastic story um you know from a business point of view though Rachel how did you go about finding the right publisher was that an easy process or or was it a, a, a bit more timely no it was quite timely actually I um I was very inexperienced when it came to the publishing industry I had no idea what I was looking for um all I knew was that my husband and a couple of my friends had said these books are fantastic you need to publish them and I'd submitted a chapter online in a competition for something and somebody came back and it it actually did really well in the competition can't remember for the life of me what it was now it was just uh, something that I entered out of boredom during lockdown and someone came back and said this is fantastic if you decide to publish this I will publish it and I thought, oh, right, OK. So I turned it into a full-length novel. And, of course, that poor chap went bust during the first lockdown, so that never happened. But it did make me think more along the lines of, yeah, OK, I really will publish this. Um, so I sent it out to a few agents and a few publishers and things. And, I mean, most of the time when I first started, I got dismissed outright as a, you're trying to publish a book that's, like, nearly 200,000 words long. You must be absolutely mental. No, we are not publishing this. We're not even looking at it because, of course, I didn't know that there were guidelines and stuff. So I started getting a bit more um, informed, really, about the industry, edited my books down, made it a little bit more publishing friendly, um, sent it out again to another bunch of publishers, um, editors, agents, and actually came back with four offers, which was a lovely surprise. Um some of them were vanity publishers, which is where you pay the publisher, basically, to publish your work for you. I chose not to go with them because, firstly, I frankly didn't have the money. <laughs> and secondly, they they will publish anything because you're paying them, which isn't really something that I wanted to do. I wanted someone who was going to work on editing it for me, who was going to work with me, not just print it and throw it at me. Um, so in the end, the, out of the ones that I had to choose from, I picked 5310. Um, because they're a traditional publisher, which means that all of the money flows from the publisher to the author. They're the ones who take the risk. They invest in the book. They are the ones who deal with the distribution. They get it into all of the different shops and stores all over the world. So Waterstones, Blackwells, um, Target even, Walmart, some of these big places uh, all over the world that it was always the dream to see them in there. And uh, they've been fantastic. And because obviously they've invested so much time, money, effort into it, that's the joy of traditional publishing is you know that you have got a partnership and you as the author are working with someone who really cares about your books. They wouldn't have taken it on if they didn't feel that they really engaged with the story. They were passionate about your your books as much as you are. So I'm really lucky um, really that, that our paths crossed and that they they love the books as much as I do. And uh and yeah, they've given me some fantastic guidance. I don't know quite where I'd where I'd be without them, to be honest. So it's interesting that we live in such a digital age, and, and there are a lot of self-publishers around at the moment, aren't there? It's, it's quite a genre to self-publish. So it's really refreshing yeah. to hear of somebody who's working with a traditional publisher and yeah. getting books in shops. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. Um, a lot of traditional publishers have struggled with lockdowns and things, and that's why a lot of people are going self-published um, because they know it's quicker, and they, you know, they feel that then they don't have to sort of compromise on creative control and stuff with publishers and things. They they just go for it. And I, don't get me wrong, I have the utmost respect for anyone who self-publishes because 
it takes a level of skill that I frankly don't have when it comes to the marketing side of things. You know, they all that work that my publishers do, if you're self-published, you have to do that yourself. And I just wouldn't know where to start. So, you know, my, my publishers, I was very lucky that when they picked up my books, they loved them as much as I did because they have been wonderful with just knowing what they're doing on that sort of thing. And, uh, and yeah, I knew I wanted to go traditional and I've found some great guys who I really love working with, so... And is it an ongoing relationship? Are there more books inside your head? <laughs> it is an ongoing relationship. I mean, these books are going to be in print. They're going to outlive me. And uh, and to think that all that time my publishers will still be working on them, you know, they'll be my children's legacy after after mine. And those publishers will still be going on them, <laughs> which is which is lovely to think of, really. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are more books in my head. Um, I keep joking that next time I won't write historical, I will write fantasy because... At least with fantasy, no one can tell you you're wrong. When you're writing historical <laughs> fiction, you have to get every tiny detail right. Um, and I must admit, the third book, I had to completely rewrite at one point because I forgot a mountain range. And one of my characters had to travel from one city to another. I'm not going to give spoilers, but it was very important. He had to travel to between these two places. It had to be within a certain time frame. And because of actual dates of battles and things, he had to get there by a particular date. And then I realised there was a mountain range in the way. So the journey that I'd planned out that would have taken two weeks would have actually taken two months because there was no trains, there were no trains or railway in that in Sinaloa in the region of Mexico at that time. So I couldn't do what I wanted to do with the plot. So I had to completely rewrite the third book um, to change which battle he took part in and to move dates around. And of course, when you've got characters who have pregnancies and things, that has a knock-on effect to the dates and what happens before. So I'm very glad that I actually found that mistake before I'd sent it to any publishers or anything because that's one that I know people would have picked up on going, well, hang on a minute, he got from Sinaloa to Mexico City in two weeks on horseback. Not a chance, love. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I comb through it really thoroughly. I do get very obsessive about the detail and stuff like that. So it's been combed through by me, by sensitivity readers, by my friend David Wells, who's a professional historian. He went through it all to make sure there were no historical inaccuracies. And touch wood so far, everybody who's come back to me has said it's very historically accurate. It feels like we're actually there it's you know the detail is great I think for you because it's very hard to change that once it's published (laughs) and I know you say you're real creative but did you enjoy doing the research which is less creative isn't it you've got to actually get those facts and figures absolutely spot on yeah I mean it was a bit grueling at times um I have learned not to trust Wikipedia at all (laughs) because they had real historical characters with the wrong dates of birth and things which threw some of my plot lines one of my uh, love interests for my heroine originally was uh, Don Lorenzo who is based on a real historical character who I then found out Wikipedia had the dates mixed up for this guy who he was based on and it would have made him about 93 and she's 21 so you think that doesn't work so I had to invent a fictional son for him and mix it up a little more with that but honestly I think I really enjoyed the research part of it in a way because it's all real and you can really connect with people's actual stories and reading back through real eyewitness accounts and things of various battles and you know various uh, disasters and events that took place around then it's really moving to think that my ancestors were actually there that I had people in my family tree you know I had an ancestor who was killed in one particular battle you know and to think that I can almost see a little bit of what he went through um 
that's quite moving actually and that's that's quite emotional to feel that I've got that connection across across the ages with those real people um and it's lovely there's a Guernsey connection to the books as well that's yes. really good yeah well I chose to publish in my maiden name Le Measure just because um of my granddad mainly because uh, he was Le Measure as well so uh, I decided that uh, Rachel Le Measure sounded like the name I was going to go for rather than uh, my married name which you know Rachel Davison sounds like a bit of a board housewife to be honest so. <laughs> Can't imagine you as a bored housewife oh, at I'm all, certainly not, not bored. I'm never bored. <laughs> um, so if, uh, if we're going back to the Bill Green Award. For anybody else who's listening to this and thinking, I could do this myself, what would you say to them? How do they go about it? And, and is, it's obviously worth it for you. I can see by the expression on your face that it's mm. a really great thing to have won. It really is. I mean, finding out that I'd won this award was just so validating, I guess is the word I'm looking for, because... I'm very lucky. I'm in a career I absolutely love. I love being a writer. And to have somebody look at everything that I've done and to look at me as a disabled mum of two children, two very young children, and look at me and go, you know what? What you have produced, what you've created on a global platform is amazing. And uh, I got some of the comments back from the judges. They they emailed me with their with their comments. And, you know, they were saying things like, you're a credit to yourself and your island. And I did burst into tears when I read that because I thought that's just so validating and so wonderful to have somebody see me like that. Um, that, you know, I I was very moved. I was very moved. And to win something like the Bell Green Award is a huge deal for me. Um, and I can't wait to, to have it out in the open that, yeah, actually, look at me and what I've achieved. I do struggle with self-confidence sometimes. And uh, again, that's something that my publishers have been wonderful at boosting me up whenever I've had a bit of an imposter syndrome wobble. Um, And I'm very lucky that I have got supportive family and friends around me who, you know, if I am thinking this has all got a bit of a whirlwind, you know, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve this. And they're going, well, you do, you really do. Read back through your books, they're amazing. And I think, well, actually, yeah, to be recognised for that is, is wonderful. And um, Bill Green himself, uh, from from what I, I've read about him, again, historical fiction writer, I'm going to have done my research. Um, but Bill Green was uh, a very strong believer that Guernsey should be on a, on a global platform. That, you know, just because we're a little island doesn't mean that we should sit back and, and let ourselves be, uh, be shouted down by all of the bigger countries and things like that. We deserve a place on the global stage. And for me to have got a place on the global stage is really wonderful um and I'm, I'm thrilled with that and I hope that Bill Green himself had I ever had the pleasure of meeting him I hope that he would have uh, he would have approved as well I think it's great it's, it's as you say a fantastic synergy between the award giver and the award winner and going back to something you said r- earlier on to have that inspirational teacher who pr- promoted you to go and use a laptop rather than having to use a pencil or a pen mm. just that little switch in your life made such a difference and I think for anybody yeah. listening who does have a disability of any type it's really inspirational. Thank you I mean that teacher he looked at me and believed in me he saw past the difficulties I was having with writing I mean I'd had so many teachers who had looked at me and gone Rachel's lazy she struggles with li- with writing can't can't see I mean I do have all my fingers <laughs> they were looking at me thinking I can't see why she's got a very strange pen hold but apart from that you know the only thing I can think of is that she's lazy and nobody really listened to me when I was saying no really it really hurts actually writing 
And so I gave up. And to have somebody who turned around and said, no, I believe in you. You've got a great brain in there. You've got a brilliant creative mind. If you're struggling, if you're finding that there's a barrier to what you can do, well, let's get rid of the barrier. It doesn't mean you can't do it. We just need to, to rearrange things to make sure that you can. And that kind of mindset changed my life because it was finally having somebody who saw beyond the disability and could see what I could do and not just what I couldn't do. And I mean, I wish, unfortunately, he passed away. He passed away very young, that teacher. But my goodness, I wish he could see now that thanks to him, really, thanks to him changing my mindset, I'm a globally published author. I've got three novels out. You know, I think he'd have been very proud and I owe him an awful lot. Um, and yeah, to anybody else out there who's listening who does have a disability, don't write yourself off because that's what I did. And it wasn't until somebody kicked me back into action and said, no, you're, you're writing yourself off far too easily. You can do this. We just need to change a few things. Change my life. Rachel Lemezeret there, the winner of this year's YBG Bill Green Award. Huge congratulations once again to Rachel. Um, we hope she enjoys the night and wish her all the best for the future. Now, before we finish with this edition of the Guernsey Press Business Podcast, let's just return to Louise from YBG, uh, who explained to Amanda a bit more about the process behind the award and how people can get involved in the Young Business Group. This year, we had um, five businesses be invited to present their business um, at a shortlist evening, which was held at the Digital Greenhouse, which was like, if, if I was in their shoes, I would have found that quite a nerve wracking experience because when you're presenting your business, it is kind of like your child. It can be very connected to you. So we had a judging panel of four and we invited three dragons from the local business community to assess the presentations and ask a bit more about the, their businesses and their plans for the future. And um, this year, our focus especially was on approach to adversity and challenge with all the global challenges that are going on. Um, so we had some really interesting um, responses to that as well. Sounds like it was a really good evening. It was great. I mean, for me as well, that's the that's the first opportunity I've been in a situation where I've been on a judging panel amongst um, three people who are quite senior. So I think it was a great learning curve for everyone involved. And it's good that YBG obviously embraces, as you say, young people. For anybody who's interested in joining, who's in business, do you have to have your own business or can you be an employee how do you go about joining you can be an employee of any of any business on the island um, and a lot of the sort of you know it doesn't matter how big or small your company is we do offer corporate memberships for bigger firms um, so you can switch in and out people that you'd like to attend we meet on the first Thursday of every month uh, more or less um, but we, what our format tends to be we have a speaker and either a dinner, drinks or breakfast. And it's an opportunity to hear from someone in the community who might not necessarily um, meet in the office, but also an opportunity to network with people from outside your industry who might prove to be useful contacts in the future. Excellent. And, and I know it's young. The word young is, is probably a bit of a giveaway, but what age range do you tend to attract? Um, I would say we do not have an age range. It tends to be um, sort of a spirit thing. <laughs> so young in, <laughs> that, young, young in mind, not necessarily young in body. Well, you know, it, it also 
applies to startups as well. You know, um, we attract a whole range of people, whether it's people who have just moved to the island and they are looking to find their feet and network a bit or, you know, meet people from a similar age to them. And it's sort of an easy, easy way in because they're being sent by their employer or it's people looking to make connections or just understand a bit about I mentioned about other industries, but for example, um, just the opportunity, like, for example, if you were looking for a young cre- young creative to work on a project, well, you might find that person is going to Young Business Group or there is definitely going to be someone who can recommend someone that has worked on a project. So it's a good word of mouth exercise, I'd say. But also there are people within there who have set up their own business, who know some of the challenges to just setting up and can also help with that regard as well so there's a mentoring aspect to it as well as well as having that fun and network networking um side to it I would say so I think with with anything in life you get in what like what you put in um or you get back what you put in um so for example if you want to go and you just want it to be an informal networking thing then that you will 100% get that from it if you want to go and you want to make um, business connections or look for recommendations on anything then you will get that as well when when does the the bill green award open for 2023 the bill green award will be opening in july august 2023 um and there's lots of time to sort of consider typically you have to answer four questions and then there is a shortlist made and a presentation evening this year we held it in October for the Vaughan Awards but yeah so I'd say we've already had people um getting in touch to find out about how they can apply so if anyone is thinking about it you know put the date in your diary and just go for it because I think if you go to present at a shortlist award nights like that or even just putting yourself forward for something like that for something like that um in my head you've already won something because you've got the courage and confidence to believe in your product um if that makes sense so although there could only be one of the one winner this year they were all all phenomenal and all the information can be found on the ybg website yes ybg.gg so we've got got the bill green award all sorted out you've got ybg is running as a, a very active group for young people um i know you yourself are are quite entrepreneurial and i think it's it's great to see we've just had the Guernsey Venture Challenge more than 55 companies applied for that you've had you know a number of companies apply for your award it's quite heartening isn't it to see how entrepreneurial Guernsey is I do love Guernsey and I think um, there is a sense of community and a sense of achieving excellence that you don't find I'd say many other places. Sure you do, but I think there's something special in the granite or the waters here. <laughs> and I know they're always saying it for sporting people, we punch above our weight, but it's not just in sport, is it? It's in business as well. Um, business, music, the arts, sport. I think, you know, as demonstrated by the Pride of Guernsey Awards recently as well, just looking at Dance World Cup successes, you know, people caring about each other, um, and you know putting on festivals um i just think that Guernsey is a great place to be and it's a great place to be at any age as well 
That was Louise Lapelle speaking to Amanda Unicamp. You can find out more about YBG at ybg.gg. You can also find out more about the work of the Digital Greenhouse at digitalgreenhouse.gg. A massive good luck to everyone involved in the Veyon Awards. Looking forward to seeing who walks away with the first prizes there. That's it for this edition of the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. If you're not already, do hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get every episode delivered straight to you. We'll be back with more soon. For now, take care.